if animals are self-aware and they've got a sense of their future and their past and their present and they can recognize themselves in mirrors in some cases is experimenting on them actually a form of torture in that they know what's happening to them at the same time is therefore eating animals unethical because they are self-aware to deal with just some of these topics i've asked professor david favor favre to speak to us to uh give us maybe a more balanced view it's an absolute honor to have him on the show and uh he's a fascinating individual and if you if you'd like to find out more about him, please look up his new book, Respecting Animals. He's heralded as one of America's leading thinkers on animal rights. But to my surprise, it wasn't as clear-cut as I thought because it's such a complicated issue. Please have a think and uh, leave in the comments your thoughts on the issue. Thanks so much. Professor Favor. thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, it's, it's wonderful to have you. Thank you. Just, I'm just going to get straight into it. I mean, I've been reading recently that animals are self-aware. Um, we've known that for some time. And if animals are self-aware and they have a sense of the present and the future and the past, and they recognize, in some cases, their reflections in the mirror, is animal experimentation torture? Is it torture? Well, um how about if we deal with the issue of is it a good idea? Yes, please. Um, yeah, please. Yeah. And is it respectful of the animals? Uh, torture is sort of a, a buzzword that has obviously negative things. I'm not sure what that might mean in this context. Uh, it is intentional. That is true. Um, and it, I think you, you are correct in thinking that this is probably inappropriate. If we are talking about, of course, lots of animals are used in scientific research and I don't think mice and rats fall into that category, uh, but there's certainly plenty of primates that do fall into that category and other ones, So, and they are used in research. So yes, there's a category that we need to talk about. And um, it bothers me considerably, I have to agree with you, because in my mind, they shouldn't, no animal should be used in scientific research unless that use can be shown to be respectful of the nature of the animal. And I think it's been shown very easily with chimpanzees, um, for example, that uh, it's, it's simply not possible to keep a chimpanzee in the confinement cage that they use for scientific research and show any respect for the psychological well-being of that animal. You may be able to feed it and keep it alive uh, by giving it nutritious food, but that, that does, ignores the mind. And clearly with these animals that you're talking about, the mind is is so complex that uh, I don't see a good way for uh, anybody to keep them in, in cages and still be respectful of, of who they are as individuals. But is, it, is, it, is that that's what I mean with that individual element? I mean, I eat meat. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't have a, a position. I am just very... Um, I don't know what to think is the truth. I have no idea what to think. And you see some pictures of the way uh, primates are treated... And then, you know, you mention, you know, rats and mice are different from primates. And you mentioned the mind. And when the mind is so sophisticated and they don't speak our language, what should one think about this issue? Well, I, I, I think we, we, we sort of give a 
historically have given a presumption to those engaged in science that they are making the right decisions and that this will all be for our overall social benefit, okay? So that's, that's where we start. But I, I think we now have the right to call the question uh, some of the experimentation uh, when it deals with those animals that uh, do show self-awareness or high levels of complexity, uh, complexity of the mind, uh, in, in saying that it's, it's simply inappropriate to keep in a cage an animal where the keeping in the cage uh, is going to destroy the mind of the animal. And uh, it's whatever the benefits that might be seen for science in some unknown future, we need to find another way to do it. So, I mean, so how do we do it? Because it, would you say that experimentation is actually, it, it, it's protecting humankind? Is that, so is that, is that the moral argument for it? Um, well, that's a really high-level argument. I, I, it, you know, when you take it down to specific species and specific experiments, I think you can have a much more robust debate. I, clearly, I think science is a positive thing for humankind, uh, but that doesn't mean that a particular scientist's idea about what to do with 20 macaques in, the, in a room uh, beats up, comes up to that standard. So one of the things that I think is a first level of protection is is uh, in the United States, there's a requirement, I, I think this is carried out a number of places in the world, that any institution engaging in animal experimentation must have an oversight committee that um, checks what the scientists are trying to do and bring in a little bit more um, of the broad social consensus about what animals should or should not be used. In the US, it's pretty well, although there's no law against using chimpanzees, uh, in scientific research, the social sentiment has moved scientists to the point of saying, well, we're not going to do it anymore. We, we understand chimpanzees are so complex that it's just, it's not ethical to, to use them for scientific research. So now I think we're going to start to move down that uh, primate chain uh, to, um, to the monkey side of things and talk about macaques and the other monkeys and say, well, if it's true that we shouldn't be using chimpanzees, what about these other animals? Because they're less intelligent. They're not, right. They're not as complex, but they still are complex. And so you're left with the question of, well, can we respectfully use them in a scientific experiment without destroying who they are as individuals? And, and I, you know, my, my uh, thought is that they probably are going to be hard-pressed to justify it. Yes, I mean, how do, we, how do we justify it? Because if you're moving down the chain in terms of intelligence then are, isn't humankind suffering because you don't have that level of intelligence to experiment against? Um, I, I don't think science needs a test tube that is the equivalent of a human body to, to produce information that's useful for science. Uh, I think a long time ago we rejected the idea of using other human beings, uh, quote, lesser human beings, uh, as a reason or a way to find out information for those that are higher human beings. So we've already started down that chain, uh, rejecting things that occurred in, in uh, Nazi Germany, for example, um, and saying that we have, to move, we have to move away from causing harm to intelligent beings. So, so is the key factor intelligence, does that mean that... Again, I don't have a position necessarily. I'm just trying to get my head around it. So does that mean that it, intelligence is the key key kind of... Um, it is the item for discussion with this whole debate. If, if they're lower intelligence, then they deserve... 
not deserving, but it's uh, it's ethically okay to experiment on an animal that's not as self-aware? Um, no, I wouldn't say that. I, I, I use intelligence as a placekeeper for complexity. And um, the more intelligent the, the individual animal is, the more complex I think they are in the sense that they, they, if they have self-awareness, that means that uh, what you do to them, they are aware that you're doing it to them and may object to that and the invasion of self. Um, uh, as for, uh, you know, if you had a frog and you're doing that, I, I don't think there's any way the frog has that level of self-awareness. So, but that doesn't mean that a frog can't be considered complex and have needs that need to be taken into consideration. So. When I talk about whether or not you can use an animal for any particular thing, it is only in the context of are you respecting that animal in its own nature. But can you ever, I mean, can you ever respect an animal if you're, you know, experimenting on it and it's aware that it's being experimented on? That's why I say torture, because I've just seen some horrific images of uh, animals. You know, I mean, even vivisection, haven't they kind of outlawed that in some, some schools now? Uh, yeah, I believe they have in a lot of schools. A lot of veterinary schools no longer have live animal but, uh, dissection labs and that sort of stuff because they've decided that it's just not an ethical use of animals. And they're, the thing, the nice thing is that technology is providing us uh, with alternatives mm. uh, more and more each year that allow that to be an easier decision to say no because they are trying to get education to some people and now... Uh, they can ha- they have digital 3D and other kinds of uh, methods of getting the same information that they didn't used to need. Uh, in the area, area of animal testing, some horrible things uh, and pictures can occur as well. And I, I'm hopeful in the next five years we may eliminate animal testing altogether. I know really? Europe has already pushed down that, that lane, and I hope the rest of us can join them in that process because technologies come up with alternatives to try to determine if particular molecules are going to be uh, threatful to human beings or, or not and uh, you don't need to put it in the eyes of rabbits to to make that sort of crude decision so but it it seems to take a whole lot to get industry to it's like moving that battleship around and um but but it's happening clearly so, it's happening so what what's your view on say the argument you know well you say well it's unethical to experiment on animals and then someone says yeah but i mean i'd rather experiment on an animal then you know my my children suffer, and then the counter argument being, but yes, the if it, if it's an intelligence thing, I mean, if you're experimenting on someone who's I don't know uh, not very well or mentally disabled, for example, has a disability, I mean, does that get factored in as well? Do you do you see what I'm saying? I worry about the intelligence issue. Right. Um, I. I don't know any other way to go. You can, if you want to draw a line and say there should be no experiments on animals, uh, that's one line you can draw that's absolute and clear and and therefore makes it very easy to see. And what I'm suggesting is I I accept that there are some situations in which some animals should be or could be used in experiments, um, but only if, and this is in in breaking down how you think about an experiment, there's, there's three particular time periods you need to think about. How, how are they keeping the animal between or before experiments? What does the experiment itself actually do? And what happens to the animal after the experiment? And how, all three of those, 
then can have ethical judgments about what they're doing. Are, are they just simply keeping an animal in a cage, like, like a rabbit, for example, uh, and feeding it? Or, or do they take into the fact the rabbit has a mind and needs complexity and needs challenges and needs to be able to do things to have quality of life? Then the question is, well, what is the experiment? Is, is the experiment observational? In which case, there's no harm that comes to the animal. And a lot of science is simply observational. Uh, is it injection and testing of blood samples, which can be done with modest intervention? Or is it slicing the rabbit open and then looking at organs, uh, and it's going to be a terminal experiment? The science, there's a lot of things that can happen in science, and they aren't all horrible things. So how did you even get into this line of work? I mean, you're, you're actually heralded for, you know, being able to... You know, you're one of America's leading thinkers on, on animal rights, and yet you can you 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 operate in that kind of central area. That's what you're. Am I right? You're kind of revered for the fact that you don't take a, a polar position. You look at the the kind of the middle of the Venn diagram. Does that make sense? I yes, I, I that's a fair statement. I think yes, I'm I'm not uh, yelling on the edges about stopping all animal uses. I'm trying to find the path forward. Uh, where we can have a, a fairly rational discussion and move forward incrementally to increasingly uh, respect animals. So what, how did you even get into this field? I mean, um, it's a very sophisticated <laughs> field, I imagine. How, what, what even prompted you to go down this kind of avenue? Well, it was a long time ago. Um, back in the 1970s, I became a law professor and decided to write about environmental things and decided to write about animals and uh, wrote an article about wildlife rights, thinking they should get some acknowledgement within our legal system, and that got me involved with um, the creation of the Animal Legal Defense Fund here in the United States, and I continued for 30 years writing in this area, uh, and so I, I just found it fascinating and one that really needed a lot of thoughtful consideration. And we've seen huge changes in the last 20 years. It's just amazing how much the general public is thinking more about animals and the consequences of our acts on animals in all, in all the various areas. What, what, what major changes have you seen? Well, just that, for example, companion animals are becoming more and more like family members. They're like children. Uh, the, the emotional bonding that's occurring with dogs and cats uh, is, is amazing and is, and is changing the law about what our duties and obligations are to dogs and cats. I think pretty clearly uh, UK and uh, United States have both become very aware of farm animals and the fact that these are living things out there that are doing it. And the general public, I think, has uh, a much higher level of expectation about animal welfare for farm animals than is actually occurring in industry. I think industry is still way behind us on that. But, but that that idea that, yes, we can use an animal, but only if it's kept in good welfare, I think has become a much more dominant uh, position in, in most of the Western world. I mean, I, I see that myself. Uh, but I don't understand the idea of animal welfare, because if, if okay, so they had a nice life before we killed them and ate them. Um, again, I eat meat, you know, I eat everything. But I, I just don't, how do we... Do you see there is there it's very hard to accept that the animal lived well when you ended up killing it, but then are we saying that actually fundamentally we need to eat the animals as it is you're, you're, you're right that that is is perhaps I think the most difficult ethical choice in this whole realm of how we use animals is 
you, and, and this is a sort of what I call a holistic judgment, that it really is hard to, to, to uh, take apart. And that is the question of if a farm animal, say chicken, is given a good life, uh, but one day it's killed, uh, is, it, is the death bad welfare un, unethical? That's exactly because it. In my mind, it's two different, yeah, it's two different questions. One is the, the quality of the life and then the nature of the death. Well, even the idea of death, them dying, you know, it's like, oh, look, let's have a big party, kill it, eat it. It's like, well, yes. I mean, how do you square that? How does someone with your ability to think through this issue at that level think about this in your own personal life? What's your view on that? Well, I, I think I do bring a somewhat unique perspective, and that is that I've raised chickens and sheep. I have a small farm. And I, I have relationships with animals that aren't uh, companion animals, aren't pets. Really? And a part of my view is that the farm animals, I, I think there is, there is goodness in having a good life. And mm. that uh, the sheep we raise have had a good life. I know they've had a good life. I've given them a good life. At a fair amount of cost of my sweat and labor, they've had a good life. And then one day, uh, some of them uh, are chosen and they they simply die in one day, and it's a reasonably good death as far as death can go, and and so it, it do you want complexity of life? Do you want a, an environment filled uh, with pastures and sheep and uh, and the goodness of the complexity of the environment that they represent in that area, or or do you want to have tofu um, and and simply grow lots of corn and rice? Um, it, it's. I don't. I don't condemn people that choose to, to become vegan. I, I think that that's an ethical position. I fully understand it. I just suggest uh, that, uh, that I think you can be ethical and still believe that animals can be used uh, by humans. But do you have to kill? Have you had to kill your own animals? Well, they go to a local slaughterhouse. I don't kill them, but they're but they're kept together. They arrive, and within a few hours, it, the deed is done. But aren't, aren't they aware that they're Dying. I'm just obviously I eat meat, so, so but aren't they aware that they're about to die? No, I don't believe so. Really? So, so how can that, we be that's sure? Beyond their capability. Is it is it beyond their sort of grasp? They're not that self-aware. Correct. No. I mean, how, how do we know that? Uh, well, that's just fifteen years of dealing with sheep. What? 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 From a I mean, just generally, how, how how do we know which animals are self-aware and which aren't, and who know what's which? Ha- ah, well, science is helping us determine that, isn't it? That that's interesting, right? That scientific experiments on whether or not an animal is self-aware, and of course, it doesn't hurt the animals when they do this. Um, but there are ways to objectively uh, suggest that that objectively suggest to us that there's an internal uh, view of the world that includes a sense of self. I'm not an expert in those experiments. So, but, I mean, so my last sort of question on this angle would be that: Is it right for us to take their lives? The, what's yeah, the moral? Um, I mean, what's the moral argument on that? Um, you know, well, it it can it, it's useful for humans to do it. It's good for the environment to have animals in in um, open pastures and fields. Um, 
And so it, it's a balancing of the interest of humans and, and what they want versus the, the uh, interest of the animal in one being alive and then two um, in, in the nature of the death. I mean, what, what if, if someone says, well, it's, you know, this whole thing of the, you know, that, that vegetarians or vegans might say, well, well it's, it's murder because you, you've decided to take it into your own hands to kill another animal because you are more powerful and stronger and smarter. And therefore, you know, do we don't necessarily need to eat meat, you know, what would you, what, what does one say to that argument? matter of science it's pretty clear we don't have to eat meat to have good diet uh, it's, it's a preference that we have it's a historical reality that we have um, but, but again that that then we're, we're now facing that ethical issue of, of whether or not it makes sense to do this and there are people seeking to create better all, uh, plant-based alternatives to our to provide us uh, the food sustenance that we need so you know you can talk about the past, but that doesn't actually answer the present ethical questions, I don't think. I mean, is eating meat moral, do you feel? I'm sorry, what? Is, is eating meat, is, is that moral? Is that moral? Um, it all depends. But, you know, I clearly with most of the industrial processes under which they're raising animals today, I'd say no, it's not, because it's totally disrespectful of the animals. It's a horrible process. So this confinement industry that we have is a disaster from an ethical point of view. But and yet, so so why do you think we just all go about go about it? Is it because we just it's 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 less of a like a mind mind bending reality if we just ignore it? Is it it's just like I can't deal with that? It's too much too much to think about. I want a bacon sandwich. Do you think that's kind of the long and short? No, of it? I, I don't. I, I think it happened. It happened without anybody's permission. Um, That's so true. Uh, my understanding in watching the, the animal scientists, uh, the agricultural animal people over here, is that they keep looking for uh, more and more efficient ways to produce protein. I've, I've had people tell me that. That's what it's all about, is how can you be more efficient? And they find out that to be more efficient, to confine it and give the animals less and less choices about what they do and make everything mechanical. Uh, which reduces because then you don't have to pay for labor. And we end up then with these confinement facilities where it's all metal and transfer points and, and you don't let the animal be an animal. You simply, it's just it's literally a commodity, a living commodity. And it's all for economic efficiency. If you want cheap meat, this is the way to do it. But I think most people are saying, no, that's, this is not ethically worth it. We, we've got to find another way to do it. Did you think we'll ever... Get to a point where, uh, say, vegetarianism would take over, or are we just too far down this meat path? You know, I I don't know what fifty years is going to look like. I I do think that we're going to find more plant alternatives that are more acceptable. You know, it it, it will be a breakthrough when the vegan hamburger is acceptable to the general public, and uh, that might be a very useful thing to do. I don't think that, you know, the way the pasture-based raising system that I have in mind is probably not capable of feeding the millions of people in New York City. So we need to find alternative methods of, of uh, making sure there's good nutrition. But but I also think it would be a loss to say that there can never again be a sheep in a field or a cow in a field. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that's a 
a very good outcome either. So I, I think the future is mixed. So do you, do you think and this sounds kind of counterintuitive to say, to, well, to someone like of kind of your intellect and experience and knowledge, but do do you think we're overthinking this and that this is what humans do and that's kind of the end of it and so we've got to accept it? Uh, we just we're animals and we eat other animals and that's that and we're not even meant to be thinking along these lines. Is that a flawed argument or some truth? Well, I think. Yeah, I think there, there is a problem. Most people don't think deeply about this, and, they, and therefore they just want the simple answer, and the answer usually is that which happened before can just continue. Um, but no, I, I think enough people, enough policy-making people are seeing that this is a, a real thing and, it, and an issue. You know, it's the, the arc of history uh, is finding um, increasing commonality with other beings and increasing respect for other beings and the realization that we're all on this planet together and we, we need to figure out how we're going to work together to make this all happen. And whether it's between humans or between humans and animals, um, I, I think the long arc of history will increasingly include animals as, as part of our communities and therefore we will be generating more respect for them. And what do you think about the idea that when people say, well, you know, I, I wouldn't eat my dog or my cat, so what makes it all right to eat the chicken? I mean... Or, or something even slightly more intelligent. What are your thoughts about that? Is it is, is it hypocritical well, to eat meat but have a beloved family pets? No, I don't think it is at all. Um, those are those animals are in what I call different communities. Uh, if it's within the community of your family, you have one set of ethics, and if it's within the community of products that you're going to buy, it's a different set of of uh, of. Uh, ideas that, that govern how the animal should be treated. So I, I don't, that, that's how human beings think. We, we think in terms of, of uh, compartments of things. I mean, you know, who, who are your friends and, and what do you think about them and how's that different from people you don't know in Nigeria and would you do anything to help them? And the answer is usually no. Um, so, so we have different ideas of what is ethical and unethical depending upon what community we share with those individuals. And animals are in different communities, just like humans are in different communities. So, so that that's kind of so. Basically, there shouldn't be some kind of uneasiness when you, I don't know, you know, you're you're eating a steak, but you know, you're I don't know, you're eating a steak, but you, you you're taking a dog for a walk. That's not a problem. It's about units, family units. It's about well, groups. It, it doesn't bother me if you know where that steak came from and that that individual had a good life, then, then it's okay with, with me. And But these are all personal decisions. You know, I, 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 that's part of the problem is I think some people are just trying to tell other people what to do. Mm. And uh, we have to understand that this is very complex stuff and it's you know, based upon family history and your capabilities and knowledge and all sorts of things that go on here. And, and we've got to be careful about condemning people just because they believe differently than you do. So I, I really am quite open to other understanding that other people take different ethical views if I believe they've actually thought about it. So with your with your with your new book, Respect to Animals, what what was the how did you go about writing it? I and mean, what was the idea behind it and what was the conclusion you were looking to work towards? Well, I, I was looking for what I thought was a more real, realistic view of how in the next ten years should we shape our ethical views so as to do things better for animals? And 
I found that uh, a number of the people in the animal rights movement who simply say we should never use an animal, they should all disappear. We shouldn't have any animals anymore, no domestic animals. And I thought, that's crazy. You know, I, I like animals. Why, why can't I create a world in which animals coexist with humans? And so that started me on a, on a path of having to think through uh, a different set of rules about, about thinking about animals. And have you, you know, psychologically and I suppose internally, have you reached a place? Have you learned from the process of writing the book? And and what what kind of conclusions did you draw for yourself, at least, um, having finished the book? Well, it 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 really was driven by the fact I moved onto a farm, and my wife decided to take up raising sheep, uh, in the sense that. Uh, we saw that death is simply part of a, a cycle. It's part of a process. It's part of uh, a broader environmental view that animals should be part of the ecosystems of this earth. And we billions of humans are slowly destroying everything we can find as near as we can tell. Uh, but, but a lot of people are trying to fight back and say we, we, we need to be more respectful of the environment, of the individuals within the environment. So I'm, I'm a... Now that I'm 70 years old, I, I've reached a place where I'm very comfortable where I am, which is intertwining both an environmental view and a, a humane view of, of the use of animals. So even though you've spent years looking into this issue, the process of having a farm, has, has, you've, you've learned even more through the process. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have that experience until much, much later in life, and therefore it really did shape me later on in my views. And, and I think if people lived on a farm, we wished there was a requirement everybody would have to spend a year on a farm with animals uh, so that they, they understand what these animals are and what is a good life and that there is such a thing as a good life for a chicken. I, I know what a good life for a chicken is. And it's this relatively simple life. It's not hard to provide. Um, but they have things they want to do. And uh, if you can provide that to them, they have a good life. Uh, do you? I mean, that sounds absolutely daft. But do, do you ever sort of look at your animals and draw any correlations with, you know, we have humans lead such complicated lives, and do you think uh, they might have a better life than us? We're always striving and striving, and kind of. Do do animals? Uh, would you say they have an equal life? Yes, I do. <laughs> I, I, yes, many a times I've looked at our sheep <laughs> sitting under a tree chewing their cud and think, wow, they're, they're, they are good right now. This is, they are content. This is the epitome of, of what that sheep has as a good life, when they can sit and there's no danger and they're healthy yeah. and they're chewing their cud, and that's it. They're healthy. They don't have to deal with any of the complexities I have to deal with. Right? <laughs> I, I was once on a farm, and, and these they called their um, their pigs, I think they called it, crispy and smoky and i was like how can you call your beloved pigs crispy because you're going to you're going to eat them but i suppose that they're saying what you're saying which is it's not as simple as oh they're going to die and you're responsible for it it's, it's it's a wider question right right exactly well uh and, and, and... sorry go on please that's right i, I finished my thought all yours well, I was going to say, Professor Favor, thank you, thank you so much for for your time. I really am grateful to you. Um, if anyone wants to look into more of your work, um, where do they find you? 
Well, uh, my, my most recent book is uh, uh, Respecting Animals, and it just came out uh, about a couple of months ago and is available uh, everywhere Amazon exists, I believe. Uh, and I would suggest for the, for the general public that's a good place to, to look. If you're more interested in my legal stuff, come to the Michigan State University uh, College of Law website, and there you'll find uh, almost all of my legal articles available digitally online. Brilliant. Uh, Professor Faber, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honour to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.